0: Hello, Pets listeners. This episode contains some references to addiction and eating disorders. Just wanna give you a quick content warning before we begin. Hello, hello, we're back. In this episode, Mandel and Wilson Rosen and I finish our discussion about Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, the OG Creativity and Artist Block Self-Help Manual. If you missed part one, please check out the episode right before this one. But today, we'll reveal some of our own custom affirmations that we wrote while doing the book. And also, spend a little time covering some of our least favorite parts and where we personally found it challenging or cringy. Stay with us as we continue to forge our way through the rest of the artist's way. You are listening to Pep Talks for Artists, a podcast offering small words of encouragement to all those shuffling along the artist's road. I'm your host, Amy Toludo. We're back. I'm back with artist Mandolin Wilson-Rosen discussing the artist's way. Picking up where we left off, We were going to reveal some of our own doubts turned into affirmations, uh, which is a bit of a scary, vulnerable moment, (laughs) as part of our discussion about what specifically helped our own artwork and our practices through reading the artist's way. And I think we both enjoyed the turning doubts into affirmations part anyway. So we both dovetailed on that. Um, Shall I go first? (laughs) Sure. And can I just interrupt one quick thing?
1: Just a, um, there's a quote. Oh, <laughs> there's good. A quote that she inserts. I forget. Are we in week one? Is this week one? Yes. I think Very so. beginning. There's another Shakti Gawain, Gawain quote, which defines an affirmation as a strong positive statement that something is already so. Oh. So I like that. It's not a wish. Right. It's not that you're exactly that, that you're just stating something that is already true. I love that. And she, and with that she gives a few affirmations from the book and says you can choose some that you like and then asks us to turn some negative core beliefs into positive affirmations.
0: Right, so the exercise that I'm that I was inspired by was that you have to write out all your fears like i'll never make it people are gonna think this about my work i'm worried you know sometimes in the past i've been like my work looks too conservative no i'll never get accepted to this or that you know these kind of things that that you write um you change them into these affirmations and it's really powerful i found so some of the (laughs) some of the ones i wrote were um this is like not including the doubts, but the transformed affirmations was being famous actually sucks. <laughs> you become a factory. That's one affirmation. Um, Another affirmation, I'm brave enough to really go for it. I am a loved member of the New York artist community. <laughs> yes. Um, I... I'm healthy and have time to really focus on my work. I'm in my prime because a lot of times one feels old. Um, People have careers later, especially women. My career is building. That's an affirmation. One of them is I am cool. (laughs) I love it. I never feel cool. Um, One of them is my work is all about process. So it doesn't all look the same. Uh, time and time again, I come up with new ideas and I'm taking steps to broaden my practice. I'm purposefully deprioritizing elegance and refinement so that I can get to a raw a raw, cause that's hard word to say, raw, raw sense <laughs> of self and decoded meaning. Those were some of mine. Um, do you want to take the plunge Monday? Sure. Um,
1: so I started very tentatively by just reiterating some of the affirmations she offers so some of them I thought were too cringy but the ones I thought were okay that I could get with were I'm willing to create my creativity heals myself and others I am allowed to nurture my artist and I am willing to learn to let myself create and so then some of the other ones that I wrote myself were I can get my to-do list tackled one thing at a time. That was, <laughs> that was one of my that was one of my fears. <laughs> that's a con, that's an ongoing one, the to-do list. Um, also, life as I'd like it to be is within my grasp.
0: Hmm.
1: I can be a prolific and successful artist and make money for my family.
0: Oh, that's nice.
1: I can make time to paint and be a mom.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And lastly, my art takes risks
0: oh i love those i feel so good Thank to hear those <laughs> yes likewise <laughs> thanks for sharing <laughs> that was our that was the brave part of the the podcast um because a, a, a lot of the it. Per, a lot of the program of the artist way is very private you're not really supposed to share a lot of what you do you know it's very solo and private you're your shaman will climb your own mountain but but it's very <laughs> exhilarating to hear someone else's uh any little taste of what someone else did. yes it is <laughs> okay thanks amy okay so um no thank you thank you my pleasure um so we've kind of finished now our personal revelations or affirmations um next we're going to talk about a controversial topic synchronicity
1: yes interesting
0: I wanted to touch base with you, particularly about she brings up this thing called synchronicity, which she got from Carl Jung. And she said, oh, back in the 60s, we called this serendipity. <laughs> it was like, so cute. Yeah. Um, but she hang on. Let me get to my. Hold I Let to get to my notes. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Carl Jung, he wrote circumstances that appear meaningfully related yet lack a causal connection. That's synchronicity for him. So kind of coincidence. And she is basically positing that jump in the net will appear. Um, You put out into the universe your wants or you're open to the universe or you're, you know, you take this risk that you've been dreading doing and you finally take the plunge. You take that first step and all of a sudden things start to fall into place. And according to her autobiography, that kind of happened to her. Everything she made was great. People always loved it. Uh, people who stepped in to give her money or help her and stuff like that. So I think she really did sort of live that life. But I, I felt I felt horribly inept. I felt like I really had very little synchronicity in my 12 weeks. What, yeah, me too. What did, you, what did you think, Mandy, about that section?
1: Um, I, you know, I, I looked for it. <laughs> I, I was skeptical about it, to be honest, which she says, you know, you will be. This was hard for me. I, I, you know, I looked and looked and, and as it's funny, as I wrote from day to day, I didn't really feel it happening much, but it's funny looking back through the weekly check-ins, I realized there were a few times where I noted what I felt to be synchronicity. Um, nothing, you know, nothing, nothing, huge in terms of like career making opportunities or anything like that, but things that I did feel were coincidences. I'll just give a silly example. One was that Emily Dickinson quotes appeared to me three times in two days, Mm. like just in various forms came at me through various media, uh, which prompted me in an indirect way to resolve an essay I was trying to finish for an application. That's cool. Yeah, I, I was like, what is it with this Emily Dickinson? Um, so that was interesting. And another was an opportunity that came via email to take a class I'd been wanting to take that is always full. Oh. So I grabbed it kind of with the artist's way in mind. Um, and then, yeah, there were some other kind of smaller incidents. So you know, even though I felt like, yeah, yeah, this isn't really happening, it you know, it did, it did sort of happen in some ways to me. Another thing that I thought was interesting is um, I've been listening to the Alan Watts lectures from the nineteen sixties, who was a thinker who was sort of credited with bringing Eastern religions into popular Western parlance in the form of these lectures that were recorded. There's a podcast um, if anyone's interested, but He talks about this idea of serendipity and synchronicity too. So, you know, Julia Cameron's not, she's not the first.
0: No, Um, and and I think, so she got it from Carl Jung, but there's also an AA tenant. There are no coincidences in AA. Right. So I think that she's already kind of primed. The pump's already primed for that sort of thinking. (laughs) And I will kind of walk back a little bit of my negative opinion. I felt like I noticed that when i said out loud to other people what i wanted or what i was doing they thought they replied with oh i have an idea for that and that's a lot of what she did in her life she would kind of talk to friends talk to her network put it out there what she wanted like i want to put on a play i'm i'm really interested in putting on a play and all of a sudden somebody would say oh i know a person call this person call that person exactly I, I had an experience like that where someone come for a studio visit and I was walking them to their car and I was like, yeah, we're really looking for space for a pop-up show this summer. And she said, oh, I know an empty, you know, storefront and I know the guys and, and let me hook you up. And so just kind of, I think maybe not sitting back, the universe handing me everything I wanted (laughs) isn't necessarily my experience, but, but being brave enough to kind of say out loud, Not even ask somebody because I wasn't like asking this person. I was just like, "It wouldn't it be great if I had this?" Or, "Wouldn't it be nice?" Or, "Oh gosh, I had such a you know hard time on that." And they're like, "Oh, I can help." You know, it's just I think it's less synchronicity as much. uh, Don't be afraid to just voice what you want, or at least what you're doing, so that at least create an environment of help if if it's available. Right, she says that. You know,
1: that once you articulate something to yourself about your wishes, dreams or aspirations, you're more attuned and open to the opportunities that come along than you would be had you not articulated them to yourself in the first place.
0: Right. Like you right. you have to know what you want in order to articulate it. Right. And doing the artist's way helps you kind of crystallize. Right. That to stuff. be open to these things. So maybe I maybe I was like being a little too too poo-pooing <laughs> of that. But I, I did feel skeptical. Sometimes I feel a little bitter about um that stuff because that kind of jump in the net will appear. I find it very um uh, naive in a lot of ways. Like, you know, for example, like you'll say, oh, well, uh, let me just get this, you know, storage space, for example. And all of a sudden you can't afford it and you're moving all your stuff out. If the synchronicity thing was true, like wouldn't wouldn't like a a work have sold or something enough to pay for the store. Like why? Like (laughs) it's sort of like, you can't, it doesn't always seem to match up. Like you can jump and the net won't appear and then you just fall on your face. So Mm -hmm. there's like some of, some of that stuff is a little naive for me, but I do think like, if you said, if you said to everyone you saw that day or that month, Oh my gosh, I, you know, I'm looking to a solution for the storage space. There's a chance somebody would say, Oh, I have an old, shed or something or i'll take your stuff i have an extra room or, you know there's a chance that might happen so absolutely right it's, I, it's, think I think that's, it's more about the voic- idea. voicing it yeah voicing mm-hmm. it helps um great so that was cool um synchronicity put a pin in that we did well we, we put it to bed we put synchronicity to bed i would say <laughs> yes. uh i wanted to ask you what were some of your artist dates especially the one in ithaca that was like a color me intrigued Yes. Yeah, so
1: well, I'll start with that one. Um, I'll just say that I, I found that planning one hour date, she recommends two hours for an artist date, but then I saw later oh, wow. in the book, maybe one to two hours. So I found that planning a one hour artist date was a lot easier than a two hour one. As I mentioned, this was hard for me just doing them. Um, but, and sometimes doing a, an artist date at home in my room with the door closed was just all I could muster for the week. You that know, sounds,
0: like that doesn't sound bad.
1: I watched the Elizabeth Murray PBS documentary online, the American Masters documentary one evening. That was a great one. Um just in my bed, you know, while my kids did other things. Um my favorite one, also the one I did in Ithaca was I took the time to walk around an old a neighborhood where I used to live in college, just sort of finding my apartment and the dorm I lived in and reveling in nostalgia. And I also made a rubbing of the building of our our old art studio, <laughs> like a charcoal rubbing. Um, that was one. My favorite artist date was one day I just spent an hour in the public library reading graphic novels by Alison Bechdel. Cool. It was completely pleasant, sitting in a comfy chair in a sunny window. <laughs> um, and one day I just sat in a coffee shop with a book. Just took an hour to do that. Just read and people watch. Um, I shopped for sweaters with a very small budget in a secondhand store one time. That sounds delightful. It was. (laughs) And I scored a very inexpensive secondhand sweater. Um, But I I tried to avoid shopping too much. Those were a lot of her suggestions were to go to this kind of store, that kind of store. So I was resistant to that. And I'll just share one that was unfulfilled, but that I still want to do. I have a gift card for a massage at a local spa, mm-hmm. and I had scheduled it, but had to cancel due to illness. So I hope to still do that one in the future.
0: <laughs> That's an excellent um, idea for an art estate.
1: Um, yes. And um, oh, and there's a Tibetan monastery close to where you and I both live near Overlook Mountain that I would like to visit, but haven't yet.
0: Well, um, how about you? What were some of your art dates, Amy? <laughs> Well, firstly, I really enjoyed hearing those. Like I said, it's like vicarious, like, oh, gosh, those are good ideas. Um, <laughs> my artist dates. I tried to consider her advice to think about your artist's child. And so I thought about childhood, my childhood, and what I really loved doing. And I remember being a child and I loved going on trail rides. My first trail ride horse was Wyoming, where they ranked the horses, all the way from spirited down to plum slow, <laughs> and I got plum slow. Um, his name was Jacob. He had a big white blaze down his face, and he would barely move unless somebody uh, slapped his butt. Uh, that was my first experience, but it was so fun; I was hooked, and I had friends that would could like imitate the whinny of a horse in Wyoming. We could go to see horses and trick them into thinking a horse horses there. And I collected model horses. I was a total horse girl in the every sense, just like Julia. I read all the Black Stallion books and all that sort of stuff and Black Beauty and everything. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to hmm. like go for, I'm going to go trail riding again because there's a trail riding up here and I would only let myself go if I had company coming up from the city and it was like an exotic fun activity but I really wouldn't have gone by myself like because it's it's not crazy expensive but it's not super cheap so probably you know it costs like a hundred dollars total to do it so it's not something you can do like every day you have to be a little bit more budget conscious but I just decided to let myself go and you had to go by yourself and I would pack my fanny pack with like apples and peppermints and graham crackers. and (laughs) For the horses. Yeah. And every time I went, I got a different horse and they all had their own different mannerisms and different likes and dislikes. And I really just loved being on horseback and like going through the winter seasons, the fall seasons of upstate New York. Like you went from green to then fall that you could see forever through the woods, the leaves were all down and seeing the deer in their rut. I felt like such an upstater. I was like, the deer, the deer's in the rut. It's rut season, <laughs> in case you were wondering. Uh, no, now. <laughs> um, It was just a very, mag- it's been very magical experience to go back to that. Another thing I loved to do when I was a teenager, young teenager was make artichoke soup. It costs $6. You just get a can of artichokes and put in some vegetables and you've got artichoke soup and There's something about like when you grow up eating a certain food, your body's so attuned to it. So when you have it again, you just feel that warm feeling of happiness, that eating a food that that you grew up with, that's, you know, that you're kind of used to. I made that several weeks and I um, made gingerbread. I watched a gingerbread documentary and I made gingerbread and then I got so hooked on it. I made three batches. I almost completely poured out a full jar of molasses and my jeans got too tight. And I was like, I got to like, <laughs> I got to pump the brakes of my gingerbread obsession. Um, am happy to report the jeans fit again after the gingerbreads uh, petered out, but I got a little obsessed. And then I went to the new age crystal store. And like I I mentioned before, that helped my work. I also remember being a child and just being dazzled by the way toys look or I grew up in New Orleans and we would also have Mardi Gras you'd get all these plastic beads and all the like metallic surfaces um the those kind of like peach peach shiny surfaces the way clear red plastic looks with sun shining through it um just all these kind of you know, transportive visual experiences that you have as a child, especially in the 80s where things were so gaudy, so plastic, so everything. <laughs> um, so I went to Michael's and I saw bags of the jewels and they reminded me of those big honking 80s earrings, the little gold <laughs> rim and the pearlescent orange in the center. And I got them. And that's been really, really fun to to shove in my sculptures. <laughs> um, Like a return to childhood. I also, there's a library here, Woodstock Library, because a lot of artists have come through here. The estates always donate their art books to the library. So they have this unique situation where they have an entire room full of art books. And it's the art book room. And it's just art books, as far as I could see, just everybody who's ever passed through here's art book collection. And so it just feels good like a radio station to walk around and just pick a book randomly off the shelf Mm. and learn about, you know, Pacific Northwest art and then get a book on Matisse or learn about Soviet folk art and how they made whistles, whistle figurines. And it was just, it was a wonderful time spent there. So those were some of my, my dates.
1: Those are great. And I wrote them all down for my future (laughs) artist dates.
0: I know I'm going to add, I'm going to add massage. (laughs)
1: well it helped that yeah it helped that i had a gift certificate
0: (laughs) um no but it's worth it i think jennifer Coates has admitted on the podcast before that she that's like the only thing that really relieves when she's feeling very burnt out is a massage and i i noted that when she said that i was like good to know good (laughs) artisty um and then next up let's really get into how it felt doing the morning pages. That's something that really intimidates people. And I want to really like dish the dirt on how it was.
1: Oh, yes. I am I I was looking forward to this part.
0: I wanted to go back to the morning pages, even mm-hmm. though we talked about yes. whether we were able to, I think you found it easier. You found it kind of a cozy activity. I found it... A little bit more rigid and a little bit more difficult but we both agreed it was worthwhile and great i wanted to talk about some of the negative most most reviews of the artist way are very positive it's very difficult to find a negative review but the in the one the one sense i did find was negative was on the topic of the morning pages and the reason is that sometimes morning <clears throat> pages because they're unguided an unguided brain dump if you are a person who's depressed it could, it could go into toxic rumination and make your symptoms worse. There's this blog I found. It's called the From Jen blog. The author is Jennifer Tatro. And she said she she told this heart-wrenching story about how she and her brother lost their mother. And the, their mother had never really left any writing behind um, except for her morning pages when she did the artist's mm-hmm. way. And so can you imagine these siblings like so thrilled to get this little secret um, words back from their mother? They crack open the notebook and it's nothing but misery and hurt and pain because she was really using them to vent her Mm -hmm. negative (laughs) feelings. And um, she was kind of making the point that I just copied from her that that sometimes morning pages with somebody who's really hurting can, can almost amp up the toxicity. And, and I even found a quote from Linda Berry, who in the same blog, hmm. Jennifer Tatro brings in Linda Barry quote, who said that unguided journaling can be a hamster wheel of feelings of worry and dissatisfaction about our relationships with other people. So, and then a lot of, a lot of people on Reddit also <clears throat> worried about the toxicity so, so I don't know. What do you what do you think about about that criticism of morning pages?
1: Yeah, I thought it was really great that you brought all those up because I dealt with this a little bit myself. Um, you know, I think Julia Cameron. What what I gleaned from her description, the purpose of the morning pages was to have it, you know, be a garbage dump. You know, a place where you could just vent. Um, complain, whine, she says, but also, you know, put your list of things to do. For me, that was very important. As I mentioned, I'm a list maker and I get overwhelmed by my list of ongoing tasks and prioritizing them all. And so that, you know, I, I took it, I took the pages as a place to put that, to put that worry. And at times it was helpful to put my, you know, anxieties about what had to be accomplished in the day there. But at times I also felt like it was um, heavy to, yeah. to dwell on the negative in the pages. And as the weeks went on, and having done the affirmations, I found it better at times to write from a place of positivity, even mm-hmm. though, you know, and it was interesting. One of the things I, I thought a lot about was In writing something, you're creating an archive, right? Like this woman and her children find it after her passing. Yet I forced myself to be free of that image, that someone would find it and read it. That's a key Um, point. Like, is it
0: a leave behind or is it going to be destroyed?
1: And I feel this way about art making in general. Like you're making something, it's a record, it's an archive. But as artists, we have to be free to just, you know, let it go. And I think that that's the spirit that Julia Cameron wants us to write the pages in. It's not for anyone's eyes. It's not even for our eyes until week nine when we're in- injuncted to go back and reread. In fact, she says don't reread until much later, so that you are free to just just get it out. And and so you know, constantly while writing, I would be aware. If anyone saw this, you're like, how mundane would they think I am, how tedious, you know, my worrying thoughts, how uninspired, but that that's the place for it. but um, i I see how that could get too heavy, too negative. And I think the point is just to use it how you need best um with all with all these sort of perspectives in mind,
0: right. Um, I think that if you were someone who worried about that sort of thing, like I relate to you saying, I mean, I think in the back of my mind, I thought, "Will my son one day read this?" Like, mm-hmm. like the kids in the story in the blog. Oh, right. be careful, you know. So, but then you're not supposed to be careful. You're supposed to really let yourself go. This is a place for you to be selfish, to really be for yourself, and not worry about other people's feelings. And so, you could technically burn it at the end.
1: I did think of burning it, and also, yeah. So I agree. Um, at first, I didn't like. The writing, you know, I felt very self-conscious, but it got easier for me after about week two or three. And then at about week six, I even wrote this down. I felt like I had put enough time into the process in this sort of like, at times, uncomfortable writing. Yeah, that I felt, well, now I'm going to see it through. It was it was at the week six point where I
0: thought like, oh, you know, morning pages. Week six was tough. I was going to say to anyone who's intimidated by the morning pages in that light, say you are currently experiencing Mm -hmm. depression or you you don't want to go into a toxic black hole. You feel like the idea of Julia Cameron, like the first drink, like you're drunk, like you don't want to even open that Pandora's box. I think you could switch it over. You could say, Mm -hmm. I'm going to write an affirmation, a certain sentence of affirmation 20 times today you could write out your to-do list to feel more in control of your life and that would be okay.
1: Right. And I think, I don't know if it's mentioned in the book or it's something I found elsewhere, but writing from a place of gratitude is kind of a nice thing that people do, you know, as part of morning pages or, or, you know, unguided journaling.
0: I think the moral of the story is that you don't have to do it right. There's no right. Right. It's Julia is saying what she did, but if it serves you better to do it a certain way, or a different way than just, you know, do it your way, just like she did it her way.
1: Yes. And she also even, you know, even though at at the weekly check-in, she would ask, how many times this week did you do your morning pages? Um, I found that I could let go of that, too. You know, so if I had only done it four times that week, I would write that down and it would be okay. If I had skipped it in the morning because I didn't have time or I had company, you know, that mm-hmm. weekend. I could do it at night or, or not at all. And I knew, you know,
0: that's okay. Yeah. You had to kind of let go of being this perfect student. And I also right. think that's the disadvantage of the book as an audiobook because it gets so repetitive. Like after every single chapter, the narrator's like, did you do your morning pages? How many pages did you write? Did you do your tasks? Did you take your artist date? What was it? And it's like, Oh my gosh, shut up. So it's really better to have a physical book that you can skim and skip if need be.
1: And I think, you know, just one last note on the morning pages that I think is key because at some point I remember being prompted, you know, to ask myself this, yeah, how did it feel if you skipped it or if you did it? I think that's what she's trying to get at. Like, if you do this for yourself, does it feel good? Does it feel like you're doing something for yourself? And for me, the answer was yes. You know, if I had skipped it, I often felt, Oh, I let myself down. i'll try. It. I'll try it again tomorrow.
0: You he felt a sense of like disappointment. I felt rage at her <laughs> and 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 that and that dovetails perfectly into the the things that we disliked, specifically that, you know, to give a little bit of another side of the book, we've been mostly positive up till now. Obviously, we love the book, but there were a few things we disliked. I want to kind of get into our dislikes from the artist's way. Sounds good. Um, I, <laughs> I, she does warn you that in sort in the the um, the course of the course, <laughs> you might feel explosive anger, and I'm like, "Yep." Yes. Uh, you might feel defensive <laughs> skepticism. I'll say yes. yes. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of those feelings were felt when she was talking about like you can just have this magic money if you wish for it hard enough or um there's one chapter where she says you should experiment without reading and i think that's i think that's towards her you know she's a writer a lot of ways that she procrastinated doing her writing was probably reading books or reading the new york times or reading news and that kind of closed down her openness to ideas she's kind of reading the same kind of stuff every day she's not letting herself Kind of free associate, brainstorm, get new experiences. She's also like spending time reading instead of writing, and so I I get it. But at the end of that chapter, she's like, "Were you able to not read, or did you throw a tantrum?" And I was like, "Hang on, uh, slow your roll." Like that is very patronizing, you know. Like you're not our mommy, and, and that really rubbed me the wrong way. Um, so that's sort of a. A segue into dislikes. I already talked about I hated her her story about I wrote lies when <laughs> she talked about being at that wooden table looking at Mount Taos and being like, I'll just write my morning pages oh, without crediting her sober mentors or really what that all was about. Mm-hmm. Um I am just like scanning really quick. Um oh yeah, this whole like materialism stuff, like Uh, wishing for the universe to give you material goods is is Mm -hmm. very strange so in the autobiography she often depends she's an incredible networker she has this incredible network in all these different cities and she will literally ask people for money ask people for an apartment uh, ask them for anything and she really leans because she's a collaborator collaborate with people bounce off people she's somebody who needs to be in a web of connection all the time. And I think that's mm-hmm. where a lot of these sort of quote unquote universal gifts of materiality come from. Mm-hmm. It's from her incredible network of people like caring for her because she's a kind of, she's a little bit of a fragile person. She's had multiple mm-hmm. breakdowns. And, and so I think it's a little bit disingenuous when she says, uh, be alert for support and encouragement from unexpected quarters. Be open to receive gifts. Free tickets, a free trip, and offer to buy you dinner and a, a new couch. Say yes to such help, and um, I don't know. It just was a little weird. Like, I don't know. What, did you do you remember that that part?
1: I do. Yeah, I think it's it, uh, it's interesting. I didn't feel so offended by the tone with that part in particular. You know, I think it's it's just interesting to hear, like, which parts rubbed us the wrong way. For me, right. it wasn't necessarily her authenticity or her tone. I I mean, I I did have also a problem with that reading deprivation chapter. She says right at the beginning that most people will hate it and that, yeah, you'll throw a fit. I didn't throw a fit, but I found that there wasn't a lot of help in the book on how to do this. You're supposed to spend an entire week without reading. Now, I had the 10-year anniversary edition which has since been updated in the 25 and 30 year anniversary edition to media deprivation, where you're actually Oh, no, I'm to glad go. I
0: didn't have that. I would no, have been I mean, in trouble.
1: Can, yeah, and I read about this. I Googled this. There are people who have done this and who have written blogs about it too and how hard it was and and people whose very job, you know, depends on checking email and, and, uh, and also if you have children, you know, you have to text them back when they text you and that there, and that there are workarounds that most people can do, you know, like try to limit it in other ways, in other Mm -hmm. words. But um, in fact, I, I highlighted this person's blog, Corey Sage, Corey Sage's art blog, which, which mentions that very week, the reading deprivation week, doing it and having to do without any media of any kind. So, you know, that part I found hard and I also found a little like, what's the word, um, unrealistic. You know, again, this book was written in the 90s and updated every few years since to reflect current culture. But that part of the, of the process, I think, is necessary.
0: And like it helps you with silence, right? Add silence so, to your life is basically right. the message,
1: right? The point being that, okay, you, yes, you, you can't avoid texts from your children, but you can avoid scrolling on Instagram to fill your boredom, you know, mm. or while you're waiting in line, maybe look around you be attentive, rather than pay attention to your phone, you know, and I think we're all guilty of this. But so I, I think it's, it's an interesting piece, but I, I found that part really difficult. What else? I, just in general, from an organizational standpoint, I felt the process a little disorganized, especially in the beginning. Um, From a scheduling point of view, some of the tasks were daily, some of them were weekly, but there was also this other overarching structure of weekly reading of the chapters, daily morning pages, weekly artist dates to me i found it difficult especially in the first few weeks to me understand too. when when am i supposed to do what where am i supposed to put what you know with my i also had the the artist way workbook which ultimately became really helpful it's a it's a spiral bound you know workbook that basically is a place to to um to do the tasks every week to write those lists draw those diagrams you know do those imaginings
0: so i was she... jealous of your workbook
1: yeah. In the beginning, it was sort of um, confusing because there are chapters and prompts within that. And then once I realized that they pretty much corresponded to the original text, I just ignored them and and just used the blank pages, um, not blank, but the, um, you know, the forms. So I do recommend it actually for anyone who's thinking about doing the artist's way to so go ahead and pick up the workbook too. That's my personal recommendation.
0: Um, speaking of, I just want to do a little sidebar when you brought up all the different editions, like the 25th anniversary, 35th anniversary. Mm-hmm. You know what's surprising to me? All the typos that are still in there. Yes, there are typos. I'm just like, there was like one thing where she was like suggesting artist dates and she's like, ride a bidet instead <laughs> of ride a bike. And I yeah. was like, oh, oh yeah. Uh, but there's like typos in there.
1: Yeah, and I'm like, some typos did too. somebody
0: comb through this in all these years? It was published in 92 or...
1: Yeah, maybe it speaks of um of her relationship with her editor, I don't know. Um so yeah. so yeah, so that was a that was a a thing, the uh organizing. Well,
0: yeah, that's disorganization was very frustrating because it's already so much work. Like she even mm-hmm. says that it's going to be like what did she say? Oh yeah, she said 7 to 10 hours a week. That's like basically like almost a oh. part-time job. And so to have disorganization just exacerbates the whole project.
1: Did you see that? Because in my edition, and I just want to point out that the layout of this book, after week 12, there are all these appendices at the end. It's almost like Julia cannot say goodbye. It's very touching. She just won't let us go. There's a creativity contract at the end of week 12. Then there is an epilogue, which talks more about how the artist's way and how it's a spiritual journey. And there's this very beautiful poem that she herself wrote about how she wishes she could just heal us all I know I love that then there is FAQ the artist's way questions and answers and that's one where somebody says how much time is it going to take and she says it's a daily commitment of a half hour to an hour oh so that's right so that's like yeah almost seven hours a week
0: yeah she said seven to ten hours a week an hour a day or more which is definitely or more
1: there's more it goes on there's a creative clusters guide which we'll talk about and then there's a an appendix where she talks more about forming a sacred circle of trusted um oh. comrades and then there's a reading list of recommended resources and
0: then there's an index of the book and you got it. just... like i had no index it, I was like oh, yes, this was I was helpful. like, oh dear. I had to do like Google Books search sometimes if I if I needed to find something, because yes. otherwise it was like combing through a needle in a haystack. Oh yeah. I found the index really helpful. So the 10th anniversary edition and and, and possibly subsequent ones. <laughs> More updated. <laughs> Recommended. Hopefully okay. you, you can ride a bike and out of bidet by then. <laughs> but uh one thing I hated also was um her part about in week five, God has lots of money. God has Mm -hmm. a supply of loves, friends, houses that are available to us. By listening to the creator within, we're led on the right path. And on that path, we find friends, lovers, money, and meaningful work. Let the flow manifest where it will, which just sounds like the secret, you know?
1: Yes, I thought of the secret. Yes. And there are other
0: books like in that same vein. And it Mm -hmm. it sours the book a little bit for me because Mm -hmm. it's supposed to be this sort of like higher plane, creativity for creative sake, living a creative life, the the joy, the play, the being a child. And then all of a sudden it's like, get that money, baby. But, but I think she conceived of this book. She was teaching this book, but she wasn't doing any handouts or anything. She just, seat of her pants. And then her husband kind of got involved and he's more entrepreneurial, Mark Bryan. Mm-hmm. And so they would do these Workshops together because she thought you needed to have a woman and a man teach it to cover all the <laughs> genders. I don't know, but uh, maybe. But Mark was much more like hard nosed. Get that money. Get that prestige. Get that uh. fame. He he wanted her to be like Tony Robbins, you know, like mm. uh, create coach. like almost like a yeah a coach, a therapist, uh, taking money from people. But she <laughs> she was more AA in, in spirit, and she wanted to just give this as a free gift to the world. But he really was like kind of thinking in a marketing way. And he thought, well, we at least have to write this stuff down. And through mm-hmm. doing that and Xeroxing it for these workshops, she has the book. She created the artist's way. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I, um, the reason I'm bringing Mark up is, is this God is money? Money lovers and houses come to those who manifest it. Is that a Mark kind of thing? Is that a Mark talking?
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good question. I like that perspective, knowing that he was involved. You know, the way I sort of took all that was that, as in other sections of the book, she seems to just be throwing many different images at us in order to reach as many different kinds of people as possible, possibly. Because, you know, for some people, it's just the creative life that they want but for some people they want to be a professional artist or or whatever or make money as a screenwriter in others they want they might measure success more monetarily so maybe that's what i thought maybe mm. she's just dangling all these different definitions of success but it is it is sort of telling maybe what what her own
0: yeah i mean i really agree that like she is trying to catch everybody so each section of each chapter it's like she's trying to make sure that nobody escapes the net you know she's repairing the net in every single way and catching all the fish but i just it's just such a shift to be like have a mansion have money have these things that then she turns around the next chapter and says we're not supposed to have town and country right Um, we're on a spiritual uh, quest yeah so it's just a little bit of a sour note and i wondered Mm. if that was like a Mm. Marxism. Like from Mark, mm. Mark Bryan. Um, <laughs> another thing I really, really wanted to talk to you about, I was excited to get your take, was this, because you are a professor at Marist. What did you think about her take on, she said, there is a sacred trust inherent in the bond between teacher and student. This trust, when violated, has the impact of a parental violation. Mm. We What we are talking about here is emotional incest. Their criticism is personal nature Nebulous as to specifics, the criticism is like covert sexual harassment, a sullying yet hard to quantify experience. The student emerges shamed, feeling like a bad artist or worse, a fool to try. And she's basically saying that, like, a professor who tells a student they're limited, they don't see their talent, they could could never achieve what they hope, a discouraging professor is akin to basically, like... A sexual, a sexual assault, or an, or an incest from a parent.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I thought that comparison was a little harsh, but I did take heed. You know, it gave me pause, um, and and pointed out something that I had already been thinking about, just from the point of view of a teacher, which is and not just not just college professors but i think even because this book is so much about like how our creative self-worth is formed in childhood i thought about um even elementary school art teachers or teachers in general you know are are forewarned by julia to not squelch the students you know creative impulses and and that you know leading with a spirit of encouragement is much healthier than with one of criticism and that you have to know, you know, of course, every context is, is different, but to me, that's what I got out of it is that like, you know, you really have to be careful if you're the, if you're the teacher. And I myself have had, um, <laughs> you but know, you damaging. That, don't you think that's a bit of strong terminology? Oh oh yeah. I think, I think it's harsh. I think it's uh, possibly, you know, pretty overstated that, that analogy.
0: But, but I, um, I, I didn't mean to, stop you because I, I know, I think what you're about to say is that you have in the Mm -hmm. past experienced some discouragement and appreciated hearing that. Right. From,
1: from, you know, from a former art teacher. So, and I think many people have. And so, you know, that, I think what she's trying to say is that it is, you know, a sacred trust, you know, that she talks a lot about that bond between a, a student and a teacher and how, and how sort of tenuous it can be and how, yeah, I just I you know I took heed. <laughs> well, I'm sure know. you
0: I can imagine you stifling <laughs> any student but I think it's more helpful for for artists to remember perhaps some of the beliefs that they have internalized that they took from uh you know a false word from a professor somebody who might have you know damned them with faint praise or not mm-hmm. believed in them you can internalize that and to, and to really air that out consider them the villain and move on.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think and that's the point. You know, that's yeah. the point of that chapter is to help the ex student in recovery.
0: Yes, in recovery. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I'm just browsing through a few more things. Okay. She's got a kind of a disordered eating kind of factor to her. Um you know, I don't know. I I I sympathize. I feel like even 20 years ago, the world was a different place and everyone was obsessed with more obsessed with diet culture, you know. The, um, there were fat jokes in every show. Um, it wasn't examined or thought of. Everyone was on slim Fest, and I get that. That was sort of especially, uh, women. Women felt like they had to conform to these images, and and I feel like lately, more recent times, there has been more of a pushback against that. You know, if a star comes out and says, I think it was like, uh, Kelly from the Regis and Kelly, or now it's Kelly and somebody, a, a morning show comes out and says she doesn't in a magazine she doesn't have any chewing foods until like 1 p.m like she only has like um, a kale a kale shake you know (laughs) and because she feels it's obvious that she's doing that in order to maintain this very slim physique for television and we're all complicit in making her believe that that's the only way she can you know be on television do her job but there's a there's a whole pushback like on tiktok people will be dissecting it and talking about it whereas i feel like back in the day i would say the 90s really wasn't happening like that we just all accepted it as the way it was and so she puts in week 10 because she likes to see things through the lens of addiction and i did ask my um aa adjacent person about that i said is it part of aa to kind of see other factors of your life through a lens of addiction does is that kind of a typical experience of being an aa and the person said no that is not typical it's probably more just julia's take so mm. so that was helpful to hear so she says for some people food is a creativity issue uh bad food mm. like bad for you food junk food leaves them hung over um and blocked mm. with blocked energy and and they they block change um and and she herself has gone on these juice cleanses. She's had mm. anorexia several times. Mm-hmm. Um, she stopped eating. She's lived on water. And so it's a little strange for her to give be giving like dieting, uh, drawing a dieting parallel because she's somebody mm. already has, suffers from disordered eating. So mm. for her to just turn around and tell people, hey, 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 oh, eating to If you eat that uh, lace potato chip, uh, you're addicted and you're a blocked creative. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, 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 chill, chill, dude. Like, heal thyself.
1: But maybe, Hearts. but maybe that was, you know, but maybe that was one of her blocks in the past, and she's speaking from experience. She's um,
0: she's always been thin. She's never had a weight problem, oh. um, and, and she's just been like obsessed with with being thin. But she's but she's never, never ever. In fact, she talks in her autobiography about having to take a life saving psychotic medicine to, to prevent further breakdowns. Mm. And she uh, mostly worries about the weight gain. So, so there's something about when somebody is in a disordered eating mindset, they should not be giving out uh, mm. uh, food advice at all. Like they, they need point. to examine themselves because that can trigger other people too. Like what if somebody who is you know, has had anorexia in the past is reading this. It's going to trigger them. It's a very dangerous thing, in my opinion. Um, yeah, that, fair so, enough. so that that kind of rounds out my problematic, uh, the problematic portion on my end. Did you have any other dislikes?
1: Um, you feel complete? There was just one other thing that I found uh, that I disliked, but it was maybe more that it was hard, which was in week nine, she asks us to list our goals, our, our creative goals for the year, the month and the week. And I think the point of that, oh, I is, hated that is to, you know, to start big and realize that through small steps, you know, you can, you can go forward. But, um, but ugh, I didn't like that at all. I have a fear of writing down goals and not sticking to them and then going back and seeing that I didn't, you know, achieve them. So that was very distasteful to me, but that was just kind of a personal, like, this is hard. 100
0: percent like i could not agree (laughs) with you more and there's something about like feeling like an art an artist and like having to write a goal it feels so like just so hard because you know that everyone's path to their goals is different and you don't necessarily know how that goal will manifest you know like you don't really know there's no like actionable step it's not like we make furniture and then we call the furniture store and say will you sell our furniture? And they say, sure, we like your furniture. It's like walking around in a fog without a headlamp and being an artist. And so goals are extra frustrating for that because you're like, well, I want, you know, maybe I want representation in New York city. And you're like, but I have no idea how to get there, (laughs) you know? And there's nothing, there's no, like, if people knew the exact route to get to those things, everybody would do it, you know? And so goals can be, I think, particularly frustrating um, for an artist.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and thanks for your sympathy, but I, you know, but I think it, it is also helpful to have to articulate what success looks like, you know, for yourself, because it True. is different for everyone. So, you know, I get it, Julia. Or just,
0: you know, putting it out there, just saying like, this is what I want, saying yeah. it out loud. You never right. know. Somebody may be like, oh, I know, you know, you never right. know. Right. Um, and then I, um, ashamedly, did not read the artist Way Clusters chapter because mm. I knew you had a lot to say about it, especially in terms of like Julia's wish is for the of way to be like an AA manual, like the book, and it's not meant to be a money generating project besides just, you know, publication. So the clusters are supposed to be almost like AA groups all using the same book, helping each other, artist <laughs> communities helping each other through the book but it's not supposed to be a profitable exercise um what what are your thoughts
1: yeah it's a it's an interesting list one of the like a little addendums at the end of the book she mentions this uh idea of creative clusters which which started cropping up as soon as the book was published apparently she she talks about this that um You know, not surprisingly, she says many therapists, community colleges, wellness centers, universities and teachers soon began running facilitated artist way groups for which they charged a fee. And she has an opinion on this. She says they were led rather than simply convened. And, um, you know, in this way, they were valuable because they adhered to the spiritual principles of recovery and introduced people to the tools um but she says any group that starts with such a leader should however rapidly become autonomous and then graduating to a peer-run nonprofit status so she's very clear on this she says that that support groups can be helpful but she wants them to be non-hierarchical you know peer-run in other words leaderless yeah which is and, very aa also mhm and free of charge and this is so interesting to me because you know during the pandemic i started seeing people promoting online artist way workshops where they would lead paying participants in doing the artist way program sometimes in 12 weeks which is the you know the the same as julia lays it out in the book or sometimes shortened to 10 weeks or even um just 4 weeks that that was one that was like "Quote unquote, a course for nine to fivers, um, but they they were charging anywhere from two hundred dollars to as much as eight hundred dollars. I've seen. Wow. And Julia, you know, she she just cautions against doing it for profit um, because it's sort of anti the spirit. And it goes on. It's a whole. She gives guidelines for these clusters, which she she does celebrate. You know, she she wants people to share the book. She she enjoins each of us at the end of the book to pass it on, you know, give it to somebody else. Um, She talks a lot about the strength of community and having your, what she calls a sacred circle, Mm -hmm. people that you trust and will support you on your journey. Um, And she lays out all these guidelines, but she says, you know, use the 12 week process, not shorter. Um, Avoid self-appointed gurus. Yeah. Listen to each other, respect one another, expect the group to change. Uh, A lot of people will drop out, (laughs) others will join, be autonomous. So, you know, in that way, she says, you cannot control your own process, let alone anyone else's. Um, Rebellion is okay. And she also says to be self-loving. And, you know, that's, that's a word to the wise. If you're in a group that's led by a facilitator who somehow feels wrong, she says, change clusters or start your own, like get out of there. But she says, I cannot state emphatically enough that the artist's way, fame and path should not be used in ways that differ substantially from the artist's way techniques as spelled out in the book. So, you know, she wants it to sort of remain the way she (laughs)
0: the way she lays it out. Yeah, it seems like what you've observed, what you observed during the pandemic was like anathema to what what the kind of guidelines were that uh, people were stepping up as gurus to lead these classes for profit based on the teachings, kind of like becoming little mini Tony Robbinses, which is, you know, something that she she had to really fight against with her own husband because, you know, she could have easily stepped into the guru's shoes. But I think beyond the AA model in her autobiography, she says that the last thing she wanted, that's why she didn't even love university teaching. The, the last thing she wanted was like students calling her at all hours, it was draining her. She just wanted to, like, make this this toolkit, launch it, and go back to her work. You know, she doesn't want to be this guru in demand. And uh, I think that's sort of what she is kind of, that's the model, and she wants everyone to adopt that model. I don't know. It's a little bit morally weird.
1: Yeah, and I think the, you know, my takeaway from having read that, that little bit on the creative clusters was that Julia seems to think it's anathema to the spirit of the artist's way, which is that none of us has any more power and therefore right, you know, to be an artist than the other yeah, or the, than the others. And so in these groups, maybe, you know, you're paying someone to be the leader or to sort of, um, you know,
0: I don't know. Well, that creates um, a false hierarchy. Right, if exactly. If you're paying somebody, you automatically put them above as more of an expert. Or an authority. Yeah, an authority. What she so that goes against the the kind of peer. And I think if you were to form a cluster, you'd have to be very choosy about who you would allow into your circle. Um, because there could be egos, there could be blocked energy. There could be shaming. There could be all kinds of negative things right. if you're not careful. It's a very it vulnerable. Crazy makers. It's yeah, crazy makers. It's a very vulnerable process. Uh, okay, yes. so this was great. I I wanted to. Um, we we have just a few more topics I wanted to to cover quickly. Um, I really want to check in with you and big picture. Who can really benefit from the book? Do we recommend it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds good.
1: I would, um, you know, I think it's good both for people who want just more creativity in their lives, who feel like they don't have any, or they always wanted some, but also for people who are practicing artists, you know, like you and me, I, I would recommend it.
0: You know, I, th- I think, do you think it lives I, up to the hype?
1: I do. Personally,
0: I, I feel helped
1: by it. I, you know, I, if I were to pass it on and I have passed it on, I would give my little caveats of things that I thought were, you know, I was skeptical of, but
0: I found it helpful in the end. What about you? Do you recommend it? Um, I would definitely recommend reading it. I thought the text was really great, really helpful. And maybe not everything was helpful, but, like, enough was helpful that I felt, like, I felt hopeful, I felt more faith, I felt more, like, armored against negativity. Um, It was helpful for me, like, if I meet somebody who's jostling for status, to think of them as, like, somebody who's looking for self-worth outside of themselves, in a fame kind of way, that was helpful. It's helpful for me to not take things personally, to see how, see other people's motivations more clearly and then and, and just be like, oh, that person's behavior is nothing. It doesn't mean I'm a bad artist. It just means they're struggling with their own self-worth. You know, that kind of thing. Or they may have said they came in the studio and hated everything doesn't mean it's bad work. It means, you know, because I love the work. That's all that matters. That kind of idea, like in not seeking. So those, I think I would recommend reading it um, Would I recommend doing it full blast like we did it? I definitely would recommend the artist dates. I thought they were really great. And I would just tell somebody to be easy on themselves, that you don't have to don't don't take on shame if you can't do everything, because that pollutes the whole experience. Like allow give yourself grace, allow yourself to do morning pages at night, allow yourself to do half a morning page, allow yes. yourself to do three morning pages a week. Allow yourself grace. Allow yourself if it's the holidays or you're taking a trip, allow yourself to postpone a week. Just don't don't hold your feet to the fire. Uh, that that I think is, it's easy to feel that way in the book because there's all these check ins at the end, like did you do it right? And and uh, <laughs> I think it's uh, skip that stuff. Just just uh, consider it a love letter from Julia to herself as a creative person and take what resonates with you and leave the rest. That's what I would, I would say.
1: I would too. And I, and I, I even have recommended it and given it to a member of my family. And I told her, you know, just let all these, all the suggestions in the book wash over you, you know, and then take what you can rather than, um, shame yourself if you can't get it all done.
0: Yeah, because it, it that is one of the hurdles of the book because it demands so much time and effort. And I also considered, could this book function like a block sometimes? Because, like she said, it takes yes. at least <laughs> ten hours a week. Um, if you're doing everything right, like if you're doing two hour artist date once a week, plus your, you know, you read the chapter that's another hour. Then you have the morning pages that takes like thirty minutes. Each day, if you do three pages, basically longhand. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're really racking up the time and then the tasks take extra time. What if you were like somebody who was intimidated to work and you thought, oh, I can't work now. I got to do my artist's way. Mm -hmm. And then you used up all your time with that. I mean, I guess it has a a shelf life. It's over in 12 weeks. But a lot of times I felt that friction. Like I'm like, I'd rather be making a drawing for myself than doing this task, you know, or writing this stuff.
1: Oh, I did too. And I thought about a quote that I heard from Werner Herzog a few (laughs) months ago, who very much poo-pooed the idea of this sort of thing, any sort of self-help, creativity, workshop, um, journaling, what he calls navel-gazing, because he felt like it, because he felt like it took up valuable time where he could be Making his work, but you know that comes from somebody who's not creatively blocked, and um, and I I think you put it perfectly with tension. I I felt that too. It's something to be aware of.
0: Yeah, and I do confess that I have taken a lot of steps before doing the program to unblock, you know, with a personal teacher. So I, I didn't come into the program like a blocked creative myself, but. I still got a lot out of it. So maybe that tension came from feeling like I was ready to work. I wasn't intimidated by working. So of course you're going to feel that tension with the book. But if somebody was really in a drought, really blocked or scared to, scared to change their work, it it might, you know, have more of a powerful effect. Yeah, absolutely. Also, I think people who might benefit from the book are people who like, are at ease with self-help. <laughs> I think it's a very, it's a capital S self-help book. Um, it's It would be in the self-help section, you know, like, and so if you're not a person who, if you bristle at the, even the thought of reading a self-help book, uh, you you may be so turned off, you, you can't take it. But I think if you've, you know, ever read like The War of Art or um, Rick Rubin's The Creative Act, um, Art and Fear or, you know, Big Magic on Creativity and Mindfulness by Enrique Salaya, um, y- you would be you would slip right in. It, but you would have to have a sort of a comfort with that sort of book, I think. Sure.
1: Um. It's interesting different. side note, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Big Magic and also wrote Eat, Pray, Love, uh, she credits the artist's way with helping her. I did that read book.
0: that. And I it's Eat always great love. when stuff like that comes out of the woodwork. You're like, you I mean, <laughs> I can see it because it's like an easy one to one. It's like, because she's such a self help guru.
1: Right. But,
0: but, you know, even, you know, my favorite comedian said that she credits it with her finally getting the courage to go on stage for the first time. So, yeah. you know, I think it, it helps you when you're, you're scared of this next step you feel you should take and, and you need someone to kind of be a cheerleader in your ear. I think that's a very helpful thing. And then I really had trouble finding any negative reviews. I found some blogs that were critical of the morning pages. We already covered that. Um, I, I, I compiled, well, first of all, I compiled some, just so if you happen to do the artist's way, it's helpful to know some AA slogans so that you can kind of scoot by those and understand them in perspective, like in context. Like you'll read things and you'll think, what? What's that about? And I was like, that's coming from AA. And I think that's helpful to know. So some of the AA phrases I noted in the book were, Easy does it. That's an AA concept. You know, take it day by day, small, small tasks. That's where she kind of where the mentors encouraged her to do the three pages, morning pages. Don't don't do a big writing project. Easy does it, do three pages a day. You know, that sort of idea. The serenity prayer, I think the spirit of that comes out a lot. Like God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. I think that's sort of interlaced, let go and let God or kind of like Jesus take the wheel or goddess take the wheel. This idea of like surrendering to a, to a bigger force. Um, There are no coincidences. It's the first drink that gets you drunk. That's Mm. that whole section of doubt. Like it's the first doubt that gets you doubt drunk, I guess. And also keep an open mind when you're, you know, I think especially about the God talk. Mm. (laughs) And then as a laugh, (laughs) you heard it here first. Amy's The Artist's Way Cringe Corner. This is where I'm going to reveal the parts of the book that made me cringe. Oh boy, I'm excited for this. Okay, so in Amy's Cringe Corner, Julia is not afraid to add a lot of references to sexy times in the book. Um, in her autobiography, she reveals she was just a little bit boy crazy, but, but you know, in the sense that she got a lot out of her relationships with men creatively. Um, she even refers to the men in her relationships as her muses. So, you know, she wasn't afraid to embrace that side of herself, or she really combined the two things, like creativity and sexuality, and that is very apparent in the book. (laughs) And she's always talking about making love lovers. Um, The the, the language in the book is very, like, 70s mock turtleneck, like, lover, you know, it feels like a little bit Fleetwood Mac. I don't know. I'm just rambling now anyway um one of the things she said is uh uh don't think this book is just for writers hooey <laughs> and i just love that i thought it was kind of cringy but adorable that she's the word hooey h-o-o-e-y <laughs> um then she when describing a millionaire curmudgeon doing his morning pages she referred to him as timothy was a one-man monument to the masculine mystique <laughs> It's like, oh, Timothy, what's happening over there with your morning pages? Um, millionaire curmudgeon. Anyway, um so she also says, uh, you know, she advises us to like work with what you have and where you are now instead of like waiting for perfect circumstances. So she said, the phone call from the lover for all my waiting may never come. That was like her <laughs> inspirational thing to say, like, don't wait. Um uh she said uh list 20 things you enjoy doing rock climbing roller skating baking pies making soup making love and making love again and i was like julia <laughs> um i think i even wrote julia exclamation point uh then um she she recounts the story of one of her students michelle a high power lawyer with a stark minimalist home starts filling her house with Lush plants, plump pillows, and sensuous incense. And bonus, she laughed mm. more and looked prettier. So it's mm. just a little bit Fleetwood Mac, you know what I mean? Um, she said, taking yourself out of doing something creative by worrying about like, kind of these invented dramatic consequences. Um an example of that is, who can turn toe out in modern jazz form? When she is busy reading the ads for a new apartment since she will have to break up with her lover to concentrate on her own art um she just she just really enjoys a, a heavy a heavy foot on the gas pedal of the word lover the word lover <laughs> is just pouring forth from her pen over and over and over <laughs> again um she advises us to avoid workaholism and that is its own addiction so she says you know for example. One of your one of your affirmations you could say to avoid workaholism is to say, "I will no longer postpone love making to do late night reading for work." I was like, "Okay, <laughs> note. I won't postpone any more late night love making." Um, thanks, Julia. Another, you know, we this could be like, a problem for some people. I know, you know. I guess so, but it's very specific. Um. A dated artist date idea is to give yourself time to listen to one side of an album, which I found kind of cute. Like That's dated, things. yeah. That's one good. Side, of an album. side A. Um, and then we mentioned that book Walking in This World, which is she conceived of a sequel almost to the artist way for artists further down the trail. She mm-hmm. said, Get yourself to a good department store and try out a few perfumes. And I was like, Oh dear, we are so <laughs> is that even possible? Like we go oh yes that, are you able to I was a, I was in I guess... Macy's during the holiday season oh you were okay Beware. Beware. Beware Beware the perfume counter. I thought like our model just dried up I don't even know um oh that's true uh yeah so those are kind of those are kind of the 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 cringe corner and then um yeah so I think we're pretty much wrapping up I have the I have the autobiography um per floor sample So just a few more notes from I know like I kind of I intended to put the floor sample autobiography, her her autobiography at the end as a full discussion, but I think I inserted enough into our general conversation that I don't really need to do that. But the one thing I wanted to say is it's called her autobiography is called floor sample because she said she's noted as saying, I am the floor sample of my own toolkit. So she does think of the artist's way as a toolkit, and she's the floor sample. So she's kind of like the vacuum on the store floor that you can try out, but she's not the guru. She's just an example of the toolkit. And there are other toolkits that you could purchase and do yourself. So I think that really backs up Mm -hmm. her idea of like, I'm just giving this as a gift, and I don't want to be involved. Like you guys take the you guys take the reins. Um, and, and then I just also wanted to kind of touch on, she's very vulnerable in this autobiography. It's, you think you're like, oh God, she finally got her life together. And then some terrible thing happens and you're just like, dang, there's never a lull. She's, she had, you know, after all the artist way and all that stuff, she ended up having two psychotic breaks and having to get hospitalized. For example, in London, she was staying in this all brown apartment, which she she had collaged all the walls, was even rehabilitating an injured raven named Magellan. And she was writing this musical for the first time. And she really lost it. She stopped eating. She was just drinking water. Her family intervened and the cops showed up to take her away to the hospital. But she has this like unsinkable sense of confidence. So like she even relates like Oh, you know, they're grabbing my arm to pull me out to the to the police car, and I'm singing at the top of my lungs a bit of melody from the musical I'm writing. And um Whoa. she's and she said one of the she's like, and one of the policemen, um, the young policeman seemed to soften for a moment, enchanted by the music. and just like, what, what kind of confidence does somebody have to think? Surrounded by paper and an injured raven, you 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 weigh nothing, and you're singing this opera. to Somebody who's coming to take you away to a mental hospital, and you think they really love my work. You <laughs> know, it's just that was just like I would never have that thought if I was in that situation. Um, but yeah, and, and you know, so and and it was, it got so bad in London that it, she actually was ass- assaulted in a in a park, and she survived. Um, I won't go into detail, but it's horrible. Um, she, mm-hmm. she really, really lost it. And she was in a foreign country. She had no one to help her. You know, her family had to rush in and, and really take the reins. And, and so she ended up, you know, having another incident. And then she finally went on a stronger medication, which made her gain weight, as I mentioned. And uh, uh, she really struggled with her body image. And, and I was I was dismayed because to see that she wrote a diet book and the, mm. and the diet book is called the writing diet write yourself right size mm. um and it's it's um sadly not that old it's 2006 so it, you know um and and the and the tagline is it offers a revolutionary diet plan use writing to take off the pounds um you know she's somebody who lived on water and i don't know um you know so i, I, I don't know that's what I'm saying she's a complex individual. I found the floor sample a great book on its own. Like it's very vulnerable. um, except for the the only part that's not vulnerable is that everything she makes is a wonderful work of art stunning to everyone. Like she never really admits that, like, and then also, um, she always says, like, creativity is the reward and not fame. But she does a lot of saying, like, oh, I got this award and this award and this review and this review. and, she does put a lot of stake in that sort of professional accomplishment. Um, but, you know, if you're curious about the woman behind the, the book, I think it helps you really take the course with a grain of salt and understand that it's a human endeavor. It was written by a human who was very flawed. And if you don't do it all perfectly, you know, you're still probably doing better than she did. <laughs> you know I mean, like she had some challenges and she she really hit the wall a couple of times. You know, she... Her addiction and her mental illness were um, powerful opponents that she fought to master. So, you know, the fact that you didn't do your morning pages that week is it does not mean that you (laughs) that you're not getting anything from the book. (laughs) It's written by someone who really walked the walk. She really walked the walk. She's a that's that's how it feels like she's one of us. And then I guess I guess we'll we'll wrap up because I, you know, I could I could go on all day. Um but it, you know I just wanted to just check in with you real quick before we do if there's if there's any other thoughts about who might benefit from the book or any other takeaways.
1: Yeah, we were talking about you know who who should try this. Um the only other thought I had was that you know certain times of the year might be more difficult for people to do this 12 week process. Um people with young kids may find it hard to get up yeah. early and write in the morning. We we've talked about this. Um, or to go away and do a weekly date by yourself. Um, But I do think it's doable, especially in different creative ways, like we mentioned, and also just important, like we said, to be kind to yourself if you can't get it all done. Um,
0: Anyone else you thought of? Um, No, I mean, again, I just want to reiterate people who aren't uh, turned off by a bit of self-helpery. If they can hang with Rick Rubin, they can hang with Julia Cameron. I think that having a young child would be difficult. If it were me, I might just read it and find tiny ways. Give yourself, a, your artist date could be 10 minutes, uh, 10 minutes of drawing on the sofa or um, it, you know, I don't know, it's, it's very difficult to find time with a small child. So, you know, adjust, Definitely. adjust your expectations accordingly. Give yourself a break. Do what you can and consider yourself a champion for doing what you what you end up doing. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, um, I guess we cracked it.
1: Yeah. I will just say kind of on a on a collective note, I noticed that in my 10th anniversary edition that the appendix ends in this very sort of sweet collective note, an artist's prayer that says it, it goes on for lines, but in part it says, Help us to love one another, to nurture each other's unfolding, to know that we are not alone, that we are loved and lovable.
0: (laughs) I just think that's so sweet. She just wants us to feel loved, Amy. That's a lovely, lovely. (laughs) She, yeah, she's ultimately nurturing us from afar through her own self-examination. But I think that's something about, except for a couple of key moments that felt patronizing, it was very authentic like another soldier in the trenches, you know, like here's my scribbled advice on the um on the trench wall. Like you respect that that person understands the path you're walking. And mm-hmm. I sometimes feel in the Elizabeth Gilbert book that there's a patronizing tone of mm-hmm. I'm above you. Like she'll call everyone my darlings.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, And I
0: think that that makes it makes you feel like you're in a child role. Whereas I think Julia, uh, to her credit, preserves that a equality everyone's right, all, a peer. no one's right above, we're all peers which i do mm-hmm. i do appreciate all right well i feel like this was like the 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 final say on the book <laughs> and the world our opinion really cracked open the book i hope um, yeah it gave people a little insight into maybe what to expect or if they did it maybe some camaraderie that was kind of our goal for the talk
1: Oh, and I should, I should throw out there um, at the end, I was surprised to see that she kind of, you know, challenges you to do 90 more days, three, three more months, 12 more weeks, in other words. So, you know, be, beware the full process is actually double. It's actually 24 weeks. If you, if you so choose to keep going, I guess uh, that's, that's optional, right? The second part.
0: Yeah. Like I signed um, it right away and then I promptly never did anything.
1: (laughs) I think, I think I'll try to keep going. We'll see. We'll see how it goes.
0: I think it was hard because I I had to reread it again and prepare for the podcast. So it just sort of like, it felt like, oh, I can't also do. <laughs> but but I think if maybe that weren't the case, it would have been easier. Sure. Um, well, thank you for, for suggesting we read this together, Amy. It was a lot no, of fun. I, I enjoyed it. I wouldn't have wanted to do it with anybody else. Another exhilarating book talk. Thank you so much, Mandy. Um, I feel proud of us for getting through the artist's way. Yes. And hope other people will take um, inspiration from our trials and tribulations, if they are in the midst or about to go or have done it before in the past. Shuffling along the artist's road. Yeah, we're shuffling. We're still, we're mid shuffle. <laughs> the foot is like oof, along the path. <laughs> All right, well, um, I think we'll wrap it up, but uh, thank you so much, Mandy. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Pep Talks for Artists and I'm your host, Amy Toludo. A big thank you again to my Artist Way accomplice, the polar opposite of a poison playmate, Mandolin Wilson Rosen, for helping me tackle all this with your customary panache and calm wisdom. Thanks, Mandy. Please visit Mandolin Wilson Rosen online at mandolinwilsonrosen.com or on Instagram at mandolin underscore Rosen. And remember, Mandolin is spelled M A N D O L Y N. This latest Book Talks episode is just the tip of the iceberg. Check out the other Book Talks in the episode list, namely numbers 53, 52, 32, 25, and 50. And please let us know your thoughts on The Artist's Way on Instagram or on Spotify, and we'll share them in the stories. Love to hear from you. Thank you to all listeners, and particularly the lovely Patreon supporters over at patreon.com slash artists. You are all the bestest. If you would also like to support the pod, you can join the Patreon or donate at buymeacoffee.com. All links are in the show notes. Find the podcast over on Instagram at pep talks for artists or me at Toulouse. I really appreciate you stopping by, and I'll see you next time. Did you do your morning pages? How many pages did you write? Did you do your tasks? Did you take your artist date? What was it?